MSW Media. They might be giants have been on the road for too long. Too long. And they might be giants aren't even sorry. Not even sorry. And audiences like the shows too much. Too much. And now they might be giants are playing their breakthrough album Flood. All of it. And they still have time for other songs. They're fooling around. Who can stop They Might Be Giants and their liberal rock agenda? Who? No one. This ad was paid for with somebody else's money. Thanks to MedKline for supporting Cleanup on Aisle 45. If you suffer from shoulder pain or nighttime acid reflux or both, then MedKline is right for you. Get 20% off and a better night's sleep today at MedKline.com slash cleanup. Rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich, and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello and welcome to Clean Up on Aisle 45. This is episode 95. It is the day after Election Day, November 9th. <laughs> uh, we're recording this the day before Election Day. We'll see how the red mirage is shaping up. I'm your host, Allison Gill. With me as always, real life lawyer and real life friend, Andrew Torres. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Allison. How are you? I am good. So our our bonus episodes are garnering a lot of attention, and we have multiple new uh, patrons to to shout out. So many that we're going to have to split it up into two groups. So I'm gonna well, let's let me start here with this first half of this first group, and then when we come <laughs> back from the break in the second half, we'll cover the rest. And today, of course, we're going to go over the lull suit lawsuit filed by <laughs> Donald Trump. Uh, against the New York Attorney General, uh, despite multiple mm, relatively sensible lawyers telling him that was a very stupid <laughs> idea, especially on the heels of the Hillary Rodham Clinton <laughs> motions fi- say for sanctions filing for over a million bucks in attorney's fees, and given that he had to, his attorneys had to go fight on his behalf in a hearing with Judge Engeron, and we're going to talk about his order too, and then we're just going to laugh at Pete Navarro because that's just fun. So uh, here's a shout out to uh, some of our new patrons. And by the way, when you become a patron at patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod, A-I-S-L-E 45 P-O-D, you now have access to our second episode every week at the $2. If you're at the $2 level or higher, you get that episode for free. So thank you to Carl Earl, Missy, Philip Zapf. Yes, Republicans do listen. Chris Ross, John Eastman hate watching from a sock puppet Patreon account. <laughs> that is 100% <laughs> true. Colleen O'Mara, Beth Dester, Victoria Stephen, Mary McCorris, Tom Holcomb, Anastasia B., Beth, Wick Chambers, JP Haley, Kim Gable, Sarah Zartlomna, Peter, Ben Arge, 
or Argy. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Sorry if I messed that up. Steve Church, Lori A. Miller Nicholson, Roman, Alexa Kapoor Motter. And you want to take the rest of these? Yeah. And uh, thank you to Jeff Hunamorder, Deborah Warren, Kathy Marlatt, His Royal Majesty, the Dark Lord, Sir Dr. Sir Jeffrey of Osler, PhD. May he reign for a thousand years. Yeah, well, we'll say it. Diane Klee, Linda Roswog, Elizabeth Kidd, Joyce Weaver, former Washington uh, football team head coach Joe Gibbs, Ross Devereaux. They call me fiery one because I'm fieriest about the state of U.S. politics. Well, hopefully this will be a good day when we're listening to this, not a bad one. We'll, we'll see. Laura Lacombe, No Name, Entropy Manor, and Dr. Solar, my arch nemesis, Dr. Solar. So. Yeah, I'm, do- I'm I'm Dr. Lunar, so yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. We will have a whole other batch for you after the, the first break. But uh, let's kick this off. And I want to set the scene. <laughs> because there was a lot of stuff going on on this particular day last week. Yeah. When Donald decided, against the advice from Christopher Kies, uh and pretty much everybody but Boris Epstein, to file a lawsuit against a New York Attorney General, Tish James, which is a full-on bullshit lawsuit, just like his lawsuit against Hillary Rodham Clinton at all was. And when I say at all, I mean he sued every oh, fucking yeah. buddy <laughs> in the United States, including our friends like Pete Strzok and Andy McCabe, the Oars, you know, any, anybody who, who, you know, came up in one of his rally speeches about the Russia hoax, which, by the way, Yevgeny Prigozhin said today that they did interfere in the 2016 election. <laughs> um, I, the, the, the Republican-controlled U.S. Senate, uh, the, specifically the Intelligence Committee, chaired by then Richard Burr, and, and the final report put out by Marco Rubio, as big a Trump sycophant little Marco as you will find, uh, it all confirmed. The absolutely the intent of Russia was to meddle in the 2016 election in favor of Donald Trump against Hillary Clinton. They did so. The only thing that was not established conclusively was that there was a meeting of the minds of those who appreciated that this was a crime. Right. <laughs> That's literally level. Yeah. Conspiracy that that, that 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 Donald Trump Jr. was too stupid to know that he was colluding with a hostile foreign power. I, the, the Mueller report even says, right, that if it had been Paul Manafort present at that uh, Trump Tower meeting, they would have recommended indicting Paul Manafort on charges of conspiracy with a hostile foreign power so yeah. well he was there he was there and uh i know after andrew weissman's book came out and speaking to andrew weissman they did have enough to get him on conspiracy to defraud the united states but they went with the tax fraud stuff because it's a lot easier to prove yeah uh you don't have to go for the intent there because you could also argue that manafort was too dumb to crime uh but that would that'd be a harder argument than junior so anyway, he sued Man- everybody. Manafort having run campaigns before, yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially for Russian-backed opposition right, black candidates right. like Yanukovych. But uh, so so he sued everybody, Hillary and everyone, uh, Fusion GPS, all those Glenn Simpson, all those folks. And uh, they, uh, Middlestone, I think Middleston, Middlestone was the name of the judge. He said, look, this is sanctionable bullshit. And Hillary Rodham Clinton, on the day, Trump decided against legal advice to file another fucking lawsuit against uh, <laughs> Tish James. She filed uh, on behalf of et al. and her lawyers, Perkins Coie, et cetera, 
a, a motion for sanctions against against Trump and Alina Haba for their lawsuit against them. And then not only that, but this lawsuit, which you're going to talk about here in a second, Andrew, uh, against Tish James, uh, was was filed the night before Donald's lawyers had to go in the morning to the same judge presiding over the case and argue that there shouldn't be a monitor, a, a, a fiduciary put in charge of the Trump camp, of the Trump organization, because uh, the New York Attorney General said he's frauding as we speak. <laughs> he, he, he created a super secret no one will ever know company called the Trump Organization 2 and started moving assets to try to hide them from her broader civil suit for $250 million. So they had to go in and be like, hey, what's up, judge? Um, we don't think one of, yeah, there's no fraud. We don't think he needs a, a, a you know, a, a fiscal babysitter for the Trump organization. We don't need a monitor. Uh, right after that lawsuit came out, which was just absolute bullshit. And there were two main things I wanted to ask you about, All right. Andrew. The negative inference that was <laughs> utilized for his his pleading the fifth 400-something fucking times, and the negative inference of his lawsuit. N neither of those things helped him, and they both came into play during that hearing, did they not? Yeah, that is correct. So I, if you want to jump ahead uh, to the Engeron ruling, I'm, I'm happy to do that. That came in uh, on Friday the 4th uh, and has already been appealed um, <laughs> up to the New York State uh, intermediate appellate courts. Um, there's been a ton of disinformation about this because, uh, it involves Donald Trump. So, uh, so let, let's describe kind of exactly the relief that Tish James was seeking, uh, which she got by the way. Uh, and that begins with the difference between an independent monitor and a receiver. Right. So when you have a bankruptcy proceeding, for example, or you have another proceeding in which you cannot trust the folks to run the company or, you know, uh, it's a 50 50 company and they're so divided that nobody can make a decision. Right. Then you can ask that the courts appoint a receiver. The receiver is paid out of the assets of the estate or the company, and they run the day-to-day -day affairs of the business. This is how Donald Trump has attempted to characterize what Tish James wants to do. Uh, it, it's just not true in the least. I mean, eventually I'd like her to get that. <laughs> um, but at this point, all she's asked for is a monitor. A monitor ensures that you comply with a court's injunctive order. So in this case, right, what they've asked for and have received, that the defendants are enjoined from selling, transferring, or otherwise disposing of any non-cash asset listed on the 2021 Statement of Financial Condition of Donald J. Trump. So in other words, he listed all of his assets, uh, and you, you can't sell off any of those assets without providing 14 days written notice to the Office of the Attorney General and the court. Okay, And... Because Tish James isn't an idiot, she knows that if you just got this injunctive relief, Donald Trump would do with it exactly what he did with, you know, I don't know, the Anti-Nepotism Act and be like, great, what are they going to do? Like, impeach me over selling my assets? But here's what they will do. The court will appoint an independent monitor to be paid by defendants. That has to be calling. <laughs> so Trump has to, <laughs> to pay for it himself for the purpose of ensuring compliance with this order. If the monitor reasonably determines that defendants have violated this order, the monitor shall immediately report that matter to the Office of the Attorney General, to the defendants, and to this court. 
And as part of the court's order, the defendants, that is the Trump org and everybody else, are hereby ordered to provide the monitor any financial statement, statement of financial condition, other valuation uh, disclosure, asset valuation disclosure, or other financial disclosure to a lender, insurer, other financial institution, any non-privileged document, book, record, or other information bearing on any of the foregoing or reasonably necessary to assess the accuracy of any representation and to comply with all reasonable requests by the monitor for such information. So instantly, what's going to happen? And and the parties, uh, by the way, have uh, eight days, sorry, six days from today um, to uh, comment. So they're, they're going to nominate uh, names uh, recommended to the court uh, by uh, tomorrow, November 10th, uh, and then kind of narrow that down, and then the court will appoint a monitor, uh, unless the intermediate appellate court issues injunctive relief. You know what would be really fucking funny is if uh, they put in uh, Judge Deary. You seem to have uh, all of a sudden some time on your hands now, Judge, so... Uh, Judge Deary would be great. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can, Tish James, if you're listening, and you know, you probably are. Uh, Morgan Stringer, the law offices of P. Andrew Torres, that would be a really, really good monitor uh, to impose. But yeah, so here's what's going to happen. The, the very first thing the monitor is going to do is the monitor is going to say, hey, I want every transaction record from all of you from the past two weeks, right? From the date that this order was entered. Uh, until the date that I got appointed, because you just know Donald Trump and his associates and Confederates or whatever are moving stuff right now as we speak, right? Because they're too stupid to realize that the monitor is going to come in uh, and immediately get those records. And then they're not going to give that to the monitor. And then we're going to be right back in court again uh, with uh, Tish James seeking sanctions for failure to turn over. And again, that kind of behavior will, can and probably will be used as a negative inference in the broader civil suit, I would imagine. Yep, absolutely. And, and so let, let's go back to that, right? Um, one of the things, because you had asked the question, and I had started with the relief that was entered. Um, but, but in order to enter injunctive relief, right, you have to go through the various factors that a court always considers in entering an injunction. Um, I, I should add, committing an ongoing fraud is considered irreparable harm, right? So there's a case that says you don't have to show irreparable injury, uh, but you do have to show uh, where the balance of the equities lie. You do have to show that this is in the public interest, and you do have to show a likelihood of success on the merits. And so in the section discussing that the Office of the Attorney General is very likely to succeed on the merits of its uh, complaint against the Trump org, um, Judge Engeron said the following. Contrary to defendants' allegations, OAG, Tish James's motion, is not based solely on the verified allegations set set forth in its 222-page complaint. Rather, OAG attaches dozens of exhibits that speak for themselves, evidence not subject to interpretation that support its contention that is likely to succeed on the merits. And defendants conversely, quote, have failed to submit an iota of evidence, an affidavit from anyone with personal knowledge rebutting OAG's comprehensive 
demonstration of persistent fraud. Because again, Donald Trump is at least criminally smart enough to know you, you don't sign additional affidavits at this point, right? Like attesting to, oh no, this this valuation really was is, is only going to get him uh, in worse trouble. And then they go through the gravamen of the allegations, right? The the the, the Trump Tower triplex uh, being <laughs> being tripled in square foot. You gotta you gotta love that. Uh, the Trump Park Avenue rent stabilized apartments, uh, which were then valued at fifty million dollars, uh, based on a book value of seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. The ground lease at Forty Wall Street. All of that stuff, the stuff that we have been over in uh, in rather excruciating detail. And at the bottom of this section on likelihood of success on the merits, the court notes. Although not dispositive on any single issue, this court is permitted and is here persuaded to draw negative inference from Trump's invocation of his Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination more than 400 times in response to questions posed to him during his deposition, and then goes through that. So, yeah, um, you have a Fifth Amendment right not to criminally uh, uh, incriminate yourself, Um that you can assert it even in a civil context. But the difference is uh, if you don't take the stand in your defense in a criminal trial, the prosecution can't go up and go, yeah, I wonder why the Donald didn't get up to defend himself. You can't say that, right? You have an absolute right. In a civil context, the judge can, here has, and this is now precedent on the record, uh, that uh, th- th- there is a negative inference to be drawn from the fact that Donald Trump will not uh answer questions about the valuation of his properties and his personal net worth. Right. And, and what did, um, what did the judge say about the, the lawsuit that came up in his decision? Did it not? Yeah. Yeah. This is never a great thing if you are getting ready to go to a hearing, but, uh, having filed that lawsuit, uh, the attorney general, Tish James notified the court via letter that's in the electronic filing uh, on November 3rd that begins, the Office of the Attorney General writes in advance of this morning's hearing to alert the court to an important and highly relevant development. According to a social media post last night, Trump has filed suit against the New York Attorney General in a Florida court, uh, in a Florida state court seeking again to frustrate this investigation and this enforcement action. This new development puts beyond doubt that preliminary relief is warranted here for a few reasons. First, Mr. Trump is, in fact, attempting to shield the key documents governing the structure of his business conglomerate from review. In particular, he asserts a legal right to shield from scrutiny the documents governing the Donald J. Trump Revocable Trust. Um, That is 100% correct in characterization of that Florida lawsuit, which we're going to discuss after the break. Despite, as this court knows, having consented to this court's jurisdiction over an investigative subpoena enforcement, these documents are of obvious relevance. Okay, so first, the lawsuit shows that you're trying to hide documents. Second, Trump admits that he's seeking to put assets beyond this court's reach. The purported lawsuit seeks a declaration that the Office of the Attorney General, quote, has no jurisdiction over the assets of a Florida trust, end of quote. Third... (laughs) Trump states that he's a resident of Palm Beach, Florida, although the Office of the Attorney General has not sought attachment here, as OAG's reply papers articulated, one circumstance where the legislature has articulated attachment is appropriate when the defendant is non-domiciliary residing without the state. So this is, I love this bit, (laughs) um, because Trump has to assert that he is a resident of Florida for Florida state courts to have jurisdiction over his complaint. He then has conceded that he is not a New York resident, 
And therefore, uh, when the Office of the Attorney General is attempting to claw back the $250 million plus uh, that Donald Trump has defrauded from the state, uh, it's appropriate to attach his bank accounts because, you know, he doesn't live there. So I, I absolutely love that. He's thus admitted facts that would support the relief of a writ of attachment uh, and thus also support the more modest relief sought here. And then finally, the Florida suit attempts to dispute the effective service of all defendants in this action by asserting in a footnote that the Office of the Attorney General failed to sue the trustee of the Donald J. Trump Revocable Trust in his capacity as such, and that is footnote one from the complaint. All defendants have been properly served in this action. It is baseless to insist that the trust has not been served in this case when a complaint when the complaint is plainly clear that Donald J., that Donald Trump Jr is sued both in his capacity as a Trump Organization executive as well as as the trustee of the trust. The insistence that service has not been affected is only further evidence that the immediate relief we seek is necessary to prevent responding <laughs> defendants from evading this court's jurisdiction. So yeah, pulling that stunt the day before your hearing probably didn't help. <laughs> yeah, and there was a New York Times story that came out that day after the hearing. Um, I, I, I think it was after the hearing and before the ruling um, that we got because I know I know the judge brought that lawsuit up in the hearing, but I don't think it appears in the in the actual order, um, in in the granting of the of the motion. But every single attorney, uh, including Alan, what's his name? Alan, he's the general counsel for the Trump Organization. Alan Garten, right? And and Chris Kyes were all like, "Don't please, <laughs> please don't do this." And and of course Boris Epstein was like, do it, man, do it. And I was surprised if Tom wouldn't be surprised if Tom Fitton was in there, like, <laughs> come on, bro. Um, uh, Tom Fitton is the guy who advised him to hide classified documents. And, and, from the and you are mentioning because of the fantastic uh, Tom Fitton providing advice to Elon Musk uh, yeah. <laughs> over the weekend via Twitter. Tom Fitton, who ousted Larry Clayman at Judicial Watch. Uh, and my my very favorite bit of trivia about about Tom Fitton is when Larry Clayman was deposing Roger Stone. You can just imagine what a shit show that was. Uh, we actually did that for Lord Awful Movies, and we used the clip of uh, it, it. So Clayman starts asking Roger Stone about. Uh, various people, including Tom Fitton, and the first thing Roger Stone says in response to it is. I, I don't know, man. He's not even a lawyer, and he's kicking your ass. And so we use that as one of our intro quotes for uh, for several months. It was delightful. So uh, nice. I love it when right wing grifters fight each other. The um, uh, you know the questions back and forth between one conspiracy theorist to another. I, you're just like you know, since the rules of logic don't apply. Um, it was it was delightful. Anyway, sorry to derail us on Tom Fitton. There. No, that's okay. And and you know, uh, not not that uh, Tish James already doesn't have a lot to do, but now she's going to have to <laughs> file a sanctions motion against this lawsuit as well. Um, it's truly, and we I want to talk a little bit more about that lawsuit uh, after we take a quick break. Um, so everybody, uh, stick around. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's Ag. I used to have really bad shoulder pain at night because I am a side sleeper, as you know. And it made it kind of impossible to sleep. I tried everything out there. Nothing could help me until I discovered MedKline. And if you suffer from shoulder pain or nighttime acid reflux or both, the MedKline patent pillow system is designed to cushion your body in a sleeping position that is supremely comfortable. 
It relieves the pressure on your shoulder. It aligns your spine. It's doctor-recommended, clinically proven, to provide effective natural acid reflux or shoulder pain relief. And in fact, 95% of patients reported an overall improvement with sleep quality when they use MedCline. Now, MedCline sleep systems are not just foam wedges. They're true medical devices. FDA-registered, doctor-recommended, and clinically proven to provide relief. The patented arm pocket allows for comfortable side sleeping the entire night, and you'll be enveloped in a side sleeping comfort that's just truly amazing. MedCline has been validated in seven independent clinical trials and as the most effective and natural treatment for heartburn and GERD and the many painful symptoms of GERD all while you sleep. And the MedCline reflux relief system is proven to reduce exposure to harmful stomach acid 87% better than just a bed wedge. So... This is a solution you've been looking for. And right now you can get 20% off when you go to medcline.com slash cleanup. That's medcline.com slash cleanup. Get 20% off and a better night's sleep today. M-E-D-C-L-I-N-E dot com slash cleanup. Again, 20% off medcline.com slash cleanup. You'll be glad you did. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It is episode 95 of Clean Up on Aisle 45, and we have some more patrons to thank. Swaim, Willow Dalton, Jared Sexton, Zachary Cullimore, Chase Easterling, Jay Zachary Pike, Slithery Slathery Slimpity Slew, Lauren Cohen, if I had a billion dollars, I wouldn't hire Norm Pattis, <laughs> David Reams, Lisa Driggers, Dudrick, Nicole Burnett, Lucy Oblonsky, Tiffany Luckett, Nicholas Ma, Cats and Dogs, Ben... Some Canadian, Stephen Slocum, Peggy Sage, Laura Bronson, Linda Walther, Jim Emke, David, Keith McGillicuddy III, I love that name, Kate S., a queer little owlbear, and who else do we have? <laughs> I love that theme. Uh, thank you also to Steve Towell, Becky Curley, Peg O'Connor, Ty Golden, Ian Fay, Robin Mann, Go Then, There Are Other Worlds Than These, Andrea Smith, Eli Fox, Connie Brown, Wild Turkey, and we've all been there. Kevin R. Kelleher, Kevin Newbold, Paul Orphanos, Uncle Don's Woodshop, supporting all things Allison and Andrew. Well, thank you so much. We support you, too. Ryan Jarmer, Atheist Eagle Scout, Ian Penovich, and Kathy Bazlowich. I, I apologize if I, if I butchered that, but I, I've done my very best. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Remember, uh, you support us at any level, patreon.com slash aisle45pod, and we will read out your names, even if you're a, you know, cuddly, cute, cute, queer little owlbear, uh, or, uh, you know, anything else. And um, if if you support us at the $2 an episode and up level, you will get our bonus Thursday reactions. So... Um, kind of thinking you might get an election reaction from us uh, yep. this week, which you may or may not be interested in. So with that in mind, let's uh, let's get back to the show. Yeah, before the break, we were talking about we, we were going to go into uh, some of the uh, amazing things <laughs> in the actual lawsuit against Tish James. And it's it, it really, uh, I mean, minus the racketeering, it reads a lot like the HRC lawsuit. You just got to, you know, Instead of Russia, you just put, you know, Tish James political uh, witch hunt in there. And, and it's it's kind of right along the same lines. Do you have any favorite moments in this I, lawsuit? I want to talk about I it. have nothing but favorite moments in this lawsuit. So <laughs> as uh, you know, as OA listeners know, uh, we, we read complaints backwards. You start with the signature block. So this is signed by Timothy W. Weber from Weber Crab and Wine, PA in Florida. 
And as far as I can tell, Timmy here is a perfectly reasonable appellate lawyer. The thread seems to be R. Quincy Bird Esquire, uh, who's bounced around a bunch. He got his law degree in 2013. He went was uh, in-house for a while, uh, did some... Uh, uh, stuff for Avesta in Tampa, Florida, then clerked in 2018. Uh, but this guy's a Federalist Society weirdo. And in particular, uh, he, alongside the associate, um, signed off on, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this, but it is my favorite thing uh, this past uh, month, uh, signed off on a cease and desist letter sent to Marjorie Miller, the administrator of the Pulitzer Prize Board. <laughs> at Columbia University <laughs> demanding that they pull the Pulitzer Prize and the statement awarding the 2018 Pulitzer Prize to the New York Times and the Washington Post for their reporting on Russian interference in the U.S. election and its connection to the Trump campaign as a defamatory statement. And um, let me tell you, no serious practicing lawyer would have signed this letter it is a joke. It is itself sanctionable. Um, I don't believe that uh, even Boris Epstein has convinced Donald Trump to actually file a lawsuit against the Pulitzer Prize board for awarding the Pulitzer Prize for Russian, you know, to the Washington Post and the New York Times for uh, reporting on uh, Russia's attempts to interfere in our elections. And by the way, as you and I were discussing right before we began recording, that Russia interfered in the 2016 presidential elections is an established fact conceded, in fact, investigated by the Republican-led Senate Intelligence Committee, first chaired by Republican Richard Burr of North Carolina, and then uh, after he stepped down, chaired by uh, as big a floppy Trump uh, sycophant as you will find little Marco Rubio. Uh, and they found over and over again that uh, the... Uh, that the efforts by Russia to support, to intervene in the U.S. elections in support of Donald Trump and in opposition to Hillary Clinton were uh, numerous. And I mean, this is just an established fact. So, uh, so I love that. <laughs> you, you, that's just, that's not even in the lawsuit itself. Um, yeah, no, that's just an aside. Yeah. Hilarious, hilarious thing. Uh, then you back up. And again, um, remember, we've talked about this. Typically, the way in which a non-moron writes a lawsuit is <laughs> you, you, paragraph one kind of tells your story. Then you have, you know, a section where you identify the parties and the basis of jurisdiction and all that. And then you have your fact pattern. That's where you story tell and you set up the necessary facts. And then the counts are designed to be specifically tailored to the civil causes of action that you're alleging, right? So for example, if you allege defamation, right, you would want to use the precise words that are required to meet the standard for defamation in the counts area. So you would say, you know, we uh, reallege uh, the, you know, the fact uh, by uh, reference. So, you know, we, we um, incorporate by reference the allegations in paragraphs one through 105 above as if fully set forth herein. So that says, think of all the facts. Now, uh, you know, there was published by the defendant, uh, you know, facts that were defamatory uh, about the plaintiff. Uh, you know, that publication harmed the defendant, right? You would, you would articulate the elements of the tort that you're alleging. Here we have no such thing. <laughs> 
we have two counts that make no sense. So and I, I, I wish I could tell you otherwise. Uh, count one is described as a violation of plaintiff president Donald J. Trump's rights to privacy and property. And I, it, this is just almost sovereign citizen level garbage, right? It says, Trump is a natural person residing in Florida with the right to be left alone from governmental intrusion into his private life <laughs> under Article 1, Section 23 of the Florida Constitution. Well, I, yeah, like, it, it, you know, until you commit a crime, right? <laughs> yeah, and I'm not sure what the Florida Constitution has to do with his New York business. Yeah, you would be not the first person to ask that question. <laughs> He enjoys substantial common law privacy protections from private actors who would tortiously invade his privacy. A right to privacy is a personal one, and intentional damage to an individual's right to privacy is personal injury and tortious. Uh, and 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 it it continues, and it just says President a Trump. Of, a lot of tortious in there. I feel I, like I feel like Tom Fitton had something to do with this. <laughs> President Trump has a reasonable expectation of privacy regarding the contents of his estate planning documents and the terms of his revocable trust, unless you have used that to defraud the state of New York of $250 million. I mean, it is just crazy. I mean, literally, it, it does not even engage with the fact that, you know, this is not like, uh, you know, Allison and Andrew were like, hey, man, tell us what's in your revocable trust, right? <laughs> you, you don't have a right to privacy uh, when there's an outstanding fraud complaint against you. So um, that's that's the first cause of action. Um, and, and of course, it also it, it contained, and, and I, I just can't emphasize how bonkers this is, contained within the allegations, within the count itself, is the argument that uh, Tish James is biased and super mean and handpicked a judge to rule against Donald Trump. And if you think, oh, that's just, you know, Andrew with his typical hyperbole, paragraph 119, nonetheless, President Trump reasonably fears that James's, that's Tish James's, handpicked justice will require President Trump to disclose the terms of his revocable trust and fine President Trump $10,000 a day, where, where he got that, I don't know, did he call up Alex Jones, I, for not providing it, <laughs> if she asks for such relief in the New York Supreme Court, which she has given every indication she will do, a person filed that in a court, a lawyer signed a pleading that contained that paragraph that yeah, is Yeah, a lawsuit filed in, filed in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Paragraph 121. If James's past conduct is any indication, James will also publicly disclose this information once obtained. She has vowed to shine a light in every corner of President Trump's affairs. I, I it, this is this is not cognizable as law. Uh and uh count 2 is a violation of plaintiff president Donald J Trump's rights as grantor and beneficiary of the Donald J. Trump revocable trust. Um, I, this is also uh, just nonsense, right? Defendant's conduct threatens to interfere with his, with his, meaning Trump's lawfully protected right to the proper administration of the trust by supplanting, controlling, or monitoring the trustee and attempting to exercise or restrain the exercise of powers delegated by President Trump to the trustee or belonging to him alone. And that and that goes back to the distinction that I raised that Judge Engeron very carefully distinguished 
uh, in his order, which is the the monitor's job. In, in fact, I'll, I'll read it from from judge's orders uh, because uh, Trump made this same basic error of law in his opposition papers. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Judge Engeron says, defendant's opposition conflates the appointment of an independent monitor with that of a receiver, when in fact they perform two very different functions. The former oversees, the latter controls. So then it says, we, OAG asked for the monitor to make sure you're not cheating and stealing assets out of the jurisdiction. This limited function is entirely different from the functions of a receiver who would, in effect, take control of the entire organization. Accordingly, defendants' claims that this amounts to a nationalization of the Trump organization are entirely without merit. So um, I mean, this is just bonkers <laughs> that you have to even say that like you know they want to shine a light yeah 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 and you know if you weren't doing anything wrong any good corporation or organization whether it's profit non-profit uh should be able to have a light shined into it <laughs> and especially from i'm the most transparent president on the planet um and <laughs> and everything will be fine if you're not fucking stealing so like, I, I don't understand if he is innocent. I mean, this is I mean, we don't have to talk about how many things he's been trying to hide from people since the beginning of time. We still can't get his tax returns to the House Ways and Means Committee. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he was, doesn't want the Mazar's papers out. He didn't want anything to go to, to, to J.D. Vance. He doesn't want a, the DOJ to come and look at what he's got in his fucking basement. Like it's it's all just absolutely nonstop hiding and, and and the the fact that i mean it, this is a civil suit right so there can't be like a criminal obstruction thing here you can make a referral be, yeah <laughs> you can make referrals and there can be negative inference and, and so i just i'm i'm just absolutely not surprised but also it continues to make me laugh hysterically uh, with, <laughs> with the, the kinds of charges that are brought in these counts these counts that are there, are there even any statutes listed? Uh, no, for either of those, absolutely not. Um, it, okay, it's, it's, right. it's just it's just bonkers. So let me do, but let me talk to both uh, of of what you just mentioned. So first, um, Mazars <laughs> in in the hearing in New York in front of Judge Engeron regarding the import regarding the appointment of an independent monitor. Trump's lawyers attempted to argue that the disclaimer issued by Mazars regarding the numbers somehow protected Trump from fraudulent statements. So uh, the, <laughs> Judge Engeron disposed of that under a section called the purported disclaimers and notes the defendants further argue that the allegations contained in the complaint are unsustainable based on documentary evidence citing to language that appears at the beginning of each of the uh, statement of financial conditions. The relevant language was included by Mazars and states, we have compiled the accompanying statement of financial condition of Donald J. Trump as of June 20th, 2012 and going forward. We have not audited or reviewed the accompanying financial statement and accordingly do not express an opinion or provide any assurance about whether the financial statement is in accordance with accounting principles generally accepted in the United States of America. Donald J. Trump is responsible for the preparation and fair presentation of the financial statement in accordance with accounting principles generally accepted in the United States of America and for designing, implementing, and maintaining internal control relevant to the preparation and fair presentation of the financial statement. So, and now back to Judge Engeron. Contrary to defendant's assertions, the Mazars disclaimer does not avail Mr. Trump at all. 
<laughs> the disclaimer was issued by Mazars and makes abundantly clear that Mr. Trump was fully responsible for the information contained therein. SFCs, statements of financial condition, serve an important function in the real world, allowing blanket disclaimers to insulate liars from liability would completely undercut that function. So uh, in terms of Trump turning on everyone, including Mazars, there you go. Uh, And in terms of hilarity, I guess my favorite paragraph, uh, now we go back to the Florida complaint, is paragraph 74. And again, I just want to point out a real... Donald Trump obviously wrote this uh, because it, it it's not English, uh, but a, a real lawyer really signed off on this complaint containing this sentence, paragraph 74 on page 20. After more than three years of formal investigation, comma, targeted public attacks, comma, and millions of dollars and thousands of hours spent, it is clear that neither President Trump nor any of President Trump's companies laundered money in any way, shape, or form Defendant fabricated the allegations out of thin air, comma, clearly indicating that even after assuming her office and initiating investigations, her desire to pursue President Trump was driven, was driven by bias, comma, political animus, comma, and the most severe case of Trump derangement syndrome, dash, not facts, exclamation point. And if you can make sense of that pile of nonsense, you're probably wearing a red hat with an adjustable waistband right now. But um, I don't get uh, it. it. I don't. Uh, it, it's it's bizarre. <laughs> That's yeah. Rhymes with bizarre. There you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. That I think the tra- the TDS mention was probably one of my favorite parts of that I, as I, well. It's um, so good. <laughs> yeah, it's like wow, you guys. Uh, and uh, I, you know, I I wanted to thank you for answering my questions about negative inference because you know I thought that that was particularly pointed uh, specifically with the 400 plus because we we talked about it when he when he pled the fifth it's like he's going to save himself perhaps some criminal uh investigations over in the manhattan da's office but at the expense of probably his entire business uh in a civil suit you know because you can make negative inferences from pleading the fifth like you said you if uh, criminally you you get to plead the fifth and they can't bring it up in in court or, or in prosecution against you, but civilly they certainly can, and the judge wasted no time, you know, um, making that uh, argument. And I think Tish James in her filing also brought that up, so I it, wasn't necessarily surprised to hear that, but very glad. I, I'm not either, and it is time. I mean, I, I think you have been proven correct on this. I have been, uh, you know, downplaying uh, the the work of of uh, Attorney General Letitia James in New York, not not because uh, she is not dedicated and tenacious and working hard and doing good work. All of those things are true, uh, but because at the end of the day, this will not result in in Trump wearing an orange jumpsuit. Uh, and I was sort of of the view of, you know, look. Any monetary sanctions that you impose on Trump, you know, will probably be vastly exceeded by the amount he was able to grift and steal either out of the White House from the American people or on the backs of his, you know, legion of idiots. Um, And that may be true, uh, but this is this is it's time to pay attention, right? This is real. There is a monitor now uh, with the authority to demand any financial document from the Trump org, the Donald J. Trump Revocable Trust, from the individual named defendants coming in and out of New York. Um, and uh, and that really hits him where he lives. 
So, you know, so to speak. So um, this is, uh, I think, this is a way of my saying, Allison, uh, you were you were right to be watching this as carefully as you were all the way uh, along. And um, and and I was wrong. And now, you know, we should uh, we should we should take this seriously because yeah, and um, thank this you is, this for is that. really um, going to make and a big And something deal. else I want to that I've been watching um, and we've got like maybe two minutes left here is and and, and it, I'm just laughing so much at, at Pete Navarro's latest. And this isn't about his uh, writ of replevin. This is about his contempt. He's actually arguing uh, that Trump told him that he couldn't, you know, respond <laughs> to the January 6th committee <laughs> subpoena. But when asked for proof, his lawyer, Woodward, I yeah, think, Stanley Woodward, said, yeah. well, we're not going to call Trump as a witness. Uh, and uh, but, you know, I can assure you that Pete and Trump talked a lot <laughs> and that it was just the general understanding of Mr. Navarro that uh, executive privilege was being asserted and that he shouldn't. And that is not how any of this fucking works. And <laughs> there are there have been seriously like a dozen of these lawsuits, whether it's Lindsey Graham or Mark Meadows, or Steve Bannon. You can't. Steve Bannon wasn't allowed to use it as a defense that his his lawyer counseled him against showing up, Costello, uh, and they demanded and subpoenaed all the communications between him and his lawyer. That is also what the DOJ did. They subpoenaed Pete Navarro uh, for all of his communications with Donald, and there were no there was no production pursuant to that. And they indicted him, and that was in some. It could have been related to this. It could have been related to something else. I think it was something in which Trump was a target. Um, but the th- the th- he's saying, hey, look, no, I don't have proof of the conversation. No, I don't have any written or t- text or any communication or faxes or nothing. Uh, but you just trust me. He, he, <laughs> he told me about the executive privilege and not to show up. That's not how it fucking works. When you get a subpoena, you show up. And if you are asked a question, you assert your executive privilege or executive privilege, which he doesn't actually have. Uh, and then you go to court and litigate whether or not that on a case by case basis can be asked Lindsey Graham. <laughs> like, yeah. That's what he just went to, through the whole fucking rigmarole of, of court filings to learn. Uh, but, you know, this is about delay and delay. So I just thought that that was a really, really funny defense on behalf of, of Pete. I, I loved it. I want to pile on. I I, I want to notice uh, again and just give the disclaimer. This is before uh, one of your and my favorite judges uh, on the uh, District Court for the District of Columbia, Judge Amit Mehta, who, again, full disclaimer, former partner of mine, uh, colleague, somebody I, I know well, uh, but uh, I, I would have the same level of respect were he not. But, you know, feel free to factor that out. His, his like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm mystified. <laughs> I, here's, it's, it's even better than that. So, uh, it, because again, remember, uh, Donald Trump, uh, I guess, sort of learned from the Steve Bannon example, like not to just send out blanket letters going, oh, hey, yeah, that's right. We've got uh, executive privilege on your behalf. So um, Navarro's got nothing. Uh, his lawyer says, well, you know, uh, as you as you described, there 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 was, uh, but you know <laughs> we're not, we're not going to get an affidavit from Donald Trump. The bare minimum of what you would do, right? And so Judge Judge Beta asked uh, during the oral argument, "You aren't even telling me that he whispered in his ear. You're giving me nothing." <laughs> and then Stanley Woodward, Peter Navarro's lawyer, replies, "We're saying Trump invoked." 
Uh, and then Beta replies, based on that, you want me to dismiss the indictment? <laughs> Which I I just love. He's like, I don't know what to do with that. And he's like, you want this court to just read some tea leaves about me? It was just such a great the, response. The entire hearing was fantastic. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> Woodward says, well, you know, like, the privilege belongs to the office. And then the judge made a reply, right? The office holder has not invoked it. <laughs> Meaning, you know, the president, the current president, right? Um, uh, it, it, it's just <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> I'm mystified. I'm I, mystified, <sighs> he says. It was really, it was fun. Um, so... Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Thanks to our new patrons. We'll be recording a bonus episode for our $2 and up patrons. It's free for you. You don't pay for that episode. Um, And uh, we'll be recording that Thursday. It'll come out sometime Friday, maybe Saturday. I'm not sure. Um, But I am looking forward to discussing what we see from uh, midterm voting numbers. The Democrat numbers are up. Democratic numbers are up from 2018. It should be. And we had a we had a blue wave. We had a blue a blue tidal wave, a blue tsunami in 2018. So. Of course, James Carville wrecked it by, <laughs> he got tricked by the Red Mirage until, until all the rest of the votes were counted. Uh, and we didn't really know until like first or second week of December. So I know it's going it, to, you know, might look bad at first, but just hang on to your hats and we'll see what happens. As you know, my, my predictions, I think we're going to pick up three Senate seats and two House seats. Uh, I am also very optimistic. So uh, take that into account uh, as you will. But it's been really great talking about this stuff with you today, Andrew. Um, these lol suits are giving me life. <laughs> it, it's been great. I think uh, your prediction will come true if there is a 2% polling error that favors Democrats. And I, that's a highly plausible outcome. And it's one nobody else is discussing. I really, really hope that uh, in a couple of days that that's what... Uh, that's that will be the talk of the town. So uh, let's see. Keep our fingers crossed. And, uh, you know, you you and I still have returns to watch. Yes, we do. Thank you very much, everybody. I've been Allison Gill. I'm Andrew Torres. This has been Clean Up on Aisle 45. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. Season four of How We Win is here. For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country. And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, beating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave. But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. And the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms. So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens 
with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of Way to Win, and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is is How We Win. Win. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.